0: everyone and welcome back to the Relay Bitcoin podcast. Today, I have a legend uh, joining my uh, conversation. Thank you, Saifidin, for taking your time. Thank you for having me, Julian. It's a pleasure to talk to you. I'm really impressed of like the, the amount of work you have put out there uh, in the last couple of, what is it, five, six years you're into Bitcoin and you wrote the Bitcoin Standard, which is obviously like the orange-pilling book out there. It's crazy. Like, do you, do you have a sense of how many books, um, how, many, how many of them you've sold and how many people you have orange-pilled with this book?
1: Um, you know, I've struggled to get reliable statistics for uh, most languages. I know the statistics for English. Uh, there's been about half a million copies in all formats in English. And then I know that with uh, the German edition and the Thai edition, Together they make about a hundred and fifty, maybe thousand, something like that. Wow! Um, but then there's about another thirty languages that, uh, well, some of them have a small number of sales. Like if you, some of them have five thousand, ten thousand, something like that. Um, but some of them I don't have data for, so I'm not entirely sure what the total number is. But I'm guessing we should probably be somewhere in the range of a million at this point across That's all crazy. formats and languages.
0: Which would make you a new york times best-selling author basically right if it you know if it would if we would look at it from the traditional angle
1: yeah but i mean the term new york times bestseller is um is, is one of these fiat terms where, <laughs> where everybody calls themselves a new york Times bestseller I'm not sure. I was reading something about how these labels are just um, very uh, inflated and debased at this point. So I think it would uh, would probably be something that I would uh, be able to claim if I wanted to, but I'm not sure how it works, and I don't particularly care. I let the work do uh, the talking, not the accolades. Plus, you know, I'm not particularly fond of the New York Times or associating with them, so... Really
0: yeah, it's just an example, but it, you're right that these uh, claims to fame uh, or these uh, awards or whatever these are, they are inflating heavily. You know, Forbes 30 under 30? I, I got into this list last year and it's, it's actually uh, 90 people in, only in the DACH region. So Germany, 30 for Germany, 30 for Switzerland and 30 for, um, uh, for, for Austria. And then there's like, I don't know how many people uh, are getting into the Forbes 30 on their journal It's about list. 600,
1: last I heard. Really?
0: <laughs> so it used to be 30. Yeah. <laughs> everything Everything is inflating. But I know so many people that have read um, the Bitcoin standard, including myself. Obviously, that's also how I got more closely into Bitcoin. I was more into also other, uh, you know, coins back then. And when I read this, this was really this was what what clicked for me that all the all the rest, including fiat, is basically really like bullshit, including also stock investing and real estate and all the other uh, assets. And I know so many people that also have referred your book and basically have gifted it to friends that were not into Bitcoin yet. And then then they got it because mainly also because it doesn't really talk about Bitcoin for the first 200 pages. I think this was really the, what what do you think? Why does, why is it that this book works so well to convince people about Bitcoin?
1: um i think this probably has to do so- this probably has something to do with it the fact that it uh, it takes so long to get to bitcoin and it wasn't meant to be this way when i first wrote it chapter eight was chapter one it started off with explaining bitcoin and then it went back and started explaining money and then i wrote the whole thing that way and then i realized no it would make more sense to just do it chronologically start mm-hmm. from seashells and work your way up to the problem and then Bitcoin arrives as a solution. I think um, that was a good choice because it, uh, the way that it came about is, um, this. if you want to explain something to somebody, you know, if you give them the why, it's much easier to understand yeah. it than to just try and explain uh, um, technical properties, whatever it is. So beginning with the issue of, this is how seashells were money, this is why they stopped working as money, this is how gold replaced them. And then this is why gold stopped working, and then that created fiat. And then within fiat, we see this problem, and we see how inflation is a problem around the world. And getting into the details of the inflation problem, which I think this is another aspect of the book that, was, that really appealed to people, which is, in a sense, it's almost like cheating for me as an economist who's not a fiat economist. Because if you are a fiat economist, if you're at a university, you're getting paid from fiat inflation. Your salary comes because of the fact that the government can um, print money. And the only way you make it as an economist is by not saying bad things about money printing, or not too bad things about money printing. So, you know, if you look at economists today, I mean, there's tens of thousands of people with PhDs around the world, uh, economists, writing all kinds of obscure papers about all kinds of arcane little tiny topics that um, you would expect you wouldn 't expect to have so much research dedicated to them. you know you see things like free economics you 've heard of that very famous book. The authors of that uh, the, 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 This is a very common type of writing where you know, you look at something very obscure like they passed the law in this country um, doing x in the year y, and then seventeen years later, we look at the impact this has had on something that you would imagine is completely unrelated. And then you see it across countries and you see that there's a very strong correlation. And they establish all these relationships and most of these things are about things that aren't really all that significant. And they dedicate so much analytical and statistical power to trying to analyze those issues. But they don't do the same thing for inflation and the impact of inflation because that's how their uh, bread is buttered. Mm -hmm. They know that if they uh, make too much noise about inflation, they get into trouble or not necessarily get into trouble, but you know, you're know you not going to um, be the next superstar in your field if you keep rocking the boat. So this just means that there's an enormous market opportunity for somebody to go out there and explain the real issues of inflation to people. And that's what I seized. That's what I did. I just thought, I'm going to write about what I think is important here, why inflation is important, why Bitcoin matters. And for most readers, most of this stuff was completely new because... Uh, they'd never heard of it because you know even if you've read a lot of economics most of your economics comes from uh, fiat sources so they don't like to get into this stuff. So showing just how much of a problem fiat was is a big mind blowing revelation for most people. Mm-hmm. And then once you explain all of these problems, then you just you you have them ready and prone to receive the orange bill uh, just. Uh, and, and to take it with uh, b- with, a, with a very big appetite because, okay, now I get what the problem is with inflation. Now I get what the, what the uh, um, complications of inflation and the implications of it are. And then you come and you just then explain why Bitcoin was a, does what it does in the way that it does. And then everything about Bitcoin makes a lot more sense when explained as a solution for that problem, I think. Um, and I think this is, this is where a lot of people get lost when trying to understand Bitcoin is that they get bogged down in the technical details. And the technical details are, of course, important. You need to understand how Bitcoin works. But if you begin with the how, it's extremely complicated. And it's very difficult for people to um, maintain the ability to study everything and to figure out the why after they've gone through the how, whereas if you know the why, then the how becomes a lot more manageable. So you get it. So this thing is meant to be censorship resistance. This thing is meant to be inflation resistance. And therefore, you can see why it takes the design decisions that it takes and why it follows the shape that it does. So this is what my assessment would be. And I think in particular right. the part about time preference is something that um, resonated a lot with people because this is something that nobody talks about. And I think mm-hmm. um, the original thing that my book did was linking time preference with the hardness of money, which is something you know uh, that's never really been discussed this explicitly. Uh, so people, first of all, aren't very familiar with time preference. And then even who are, people who are familiar with time preference, it's never been laid out as being a result of the hardness of money so directly. And that's why uh, I think the book can be quite powerful for the reader. Absolutely.
0: Many concepts like the time preference, but also like what struck me, for example, is when you talked about architecture, Mm. how architecture changed or how art in general changed, um, how music changed. And like we, now we have like the, the music that we are listening to now is really uh, totally different than the music that we listened to when we still had a gold standard. Like it was classic music. It was nice. It was a lot of effort. It was a lot of proof of work that went into uh, the creation of like everything that Mozart and Beethoven did and and now it's basically just a dj um playing some music that uh, a half ai did <laughs> or or that you can do in a couple of minutes just uh, and and this all um uh, has to do with time preference and and uh, having a, a a money that is based on a hard uh, standard right this is crazy it's really interesting did you expect like w- did you Try to do this. Did you expect to make a career and a living out of this whole um, Bitcoin standard? Did you expect that it will go as viral as it, uh, no. as it went?
1: No. And initially, the motivation was just uh, I need to start writing, and I thought uh, this is just. And, and I was a university professor, and I needed to publish things. So I thought I'll publish a book that'll help me get promoted.
0: Hey everyone, this is Anna from Relay. I want to tell you about Relay Private. It's our exclusive service for private clients, family offices and small or medium-sized companies looking to buy or sell large amounts of Bitcoin. As a Relay Private client, you have a full team focusing on your needs. A dedicated account manager guides you every step of the way. You also get personalized 24-7 support and gain access to exclusive reports and industry insights created by Relay. If that sounds like something you or somebody you know should check out, click the link in the description or head over to relay.app slash private.
1: Um, And I did not think that an academic book on Bitcoin would have this much success. Um, I just uh, went by and did it and I thought it's, uh, um, you know, people will, uh, some people will read it, but I didn't think it would be this uh, successful. I, it did not cross my mind that there was a market, there was such a market for a Bitcoin book, to be honest. It was just, all right, I I should write because I'm spending all my day arguing with people on Facebook and Twitter about Bitcoin. And my wife told me, stop wasting your time on this. And I thought, yeah, she, she I remember, I mean, the thing that sparked the whole thing is she said, my wife one day said, you spent so much time writing all these long essays on Facebook and Twitter, arguing with people. Um, you could have written a book in all of the time. And I realized, wow, she's actually right. I should just write a book. So really, the, the, the idea was I should do something productive that I can get paid for rather than fight on Facebook all day with the same seven friends. <laughs> <laughs> I could write things for the whole world. And indeed, I stopped posting on Facebook, and I wrote the book. And uh, it was really like a few months of Facebook posting, Instead of, if you channel all the energy that you spend agonizing on uh, uh, proving your Facebook friends wrong, if you just decide, I don't care what my Facebook friends think, and I'm just going to write something (laughs) to publish for the world, (laughs) you could get a lot done, I tell you.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I should, I should start with that. <laughs> I, I don't argue that much, but I definitely spend too much time on social media. <laughs> I could do more. And, and now what the good thing is you can just send them a link, right? Whoever wants to argue with you, you can send them a link to the book and then they can read it. and. It's fine.
1: Exactly. That, that was really the, the, the kind of the motivation. Like, why do I need to keep repeating this in every essay, uh, on every comment thread, every time somebody has a stupid thing to say about Bitcoin? I could just write the book, and then if they care, they can read the book. And if they don't, well, who cares? I'll write another book. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. The, the, the only problem
0: is, it is the, the book is quite long, and it requires some, you know, education. I would say. I mean, it's it's not super easy and straightforward to read, right? So, what do you say, or how do you? What's the shortcut? How do you, orange pill people, if you don't have? If if they will not read a 300-page book, like how do you how do you do this?
1: I don't have a good answer for you. I don't think the answer. I think the answer is for them to just shut up and read. Um, <laughs> if you don't have time to read a 10-hour book, then I can't help you. Like the, a lot of people have this. I get this on Twitter, sometimes somebody will ask you, uh, can you provide me with a five minute pitch for Bitcoin? And the answer is no, you can't. Uh, You can't explain Bitcoin in five minutes. I mean, I could give you the motivation why it resists inflation, it allows you to make transactions, it's unconfiscatable, Um, it's it's permissionless, it's apolitical. But none of that will make sense if you just tell it to somebody. Like Nobody's going to get truly orange-pilled on their own with a five minute elevator pitch. Um, because it raises many more questions than it answers. All right, so there's only 21 million. Like, Obviously, if you just tell that to anybody like me, when I first heard about Bitcoin for the first couple of years, in my mind, yeah, there's only 21 million for now until they figure out a way, until the government uh, captures it, whatever. Mm. And so this uh, it's such a new thing. It's such a revolutionary thing. You can't do it justice in a short period of time. Um, and if you tried, you're going to leave the person unconvinced. And then, um, you know, that they have all these other questions and it's not going to make sense. So um, there is a part of me that thought maybe you could summarize this book. Maybe I could summarize it. Maybe I could write a briefer book. And, you know, a lot of people have written brief versions uh, uh, that are very similar to my book. Like a lot of people have written books that contain the main ideas in my book but they contain them quite briefly um, but it doesn't look like any of them has succeeded anywhere near as much as mine because mm. i don't think you can um you, you you can summarize and skip over these things briefly mm. um, you know if i wanted to go through my book and try and cut it down in order to get the point across I probably could edit it down, but I don't think um, I could cut down more than ten, twenty percent, or something like that. If you wanted to cut it down more, you're just going to end up having to uh, make claims that you can't back up, and then you're expecting the reader to um, you're expecting the reader to just take your word for it, and that's just not going to work. It's not going to have the same kind of impact. So I think. Um, if you look at, I, I mean, this is just my assessment. It seems to me, if you ask people how to get orange pilled how do you orange pill others? It seems that the most successful thing seems to be um, listening, watch, reading my book, uh, and some of the other successful things would be listening to several hours of Michael Saylor on YouTube, and that also works very well. But that also takes a significant amount of time. So mm-hmm. even Michael Saylor, who's a gigantic giga brain. He can't get Bitcoin down to five minutes or 10 minutes Mm -hmm. or one hour or two hours. I think even if you wanted to take a Michael Saylor orange billing class, you're still going to need several hours of uh, hard work. So I'm not sure sure there's an answer for this. And I did consider writing a brief version of the Bitcoin standard, but I decided it doesn't really make sense. Uh, some people have written, like, kids' versions of the Bitcoin standard, and I think that worked out well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, it's it's nice for kids. But uh, other than that, honestly, the answer is, look, Bitcoin is important enough for you to spend 10 hours. And if you're not convinced on it, um, you know, listen to the audio book. The audio book is about 10 hours long. If you don't have 10 hours for something so important, then, you know, tough. Um, <laughs> Maybe you're just not meant to make it. Not everybody is <laughs> supposed to make it, I guess.
0: Like Satoshi Nakamoto used to say, right? If you don't get it, I don't have the time to explain it to you.
1: Well, I, in my case, I did have the time. I spent a lot of time crafting this book, and that's what I have. But that's that's it. I can't give you, uh, I can't give you individualized instruction to try and explain it to you individually. You're yeah. just gonna have to uh, read the book. You need to want it, and that's why you need to understand the problem so that you are
0: open for the solution, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, us uh, entrepreneurs are always you know, told that if you talk to investors, if you talk to clients that you want to pursue, you always need to start with the problem and then bring the solution. What we Bitcoiners usually do, and you uh, change that a bit, is like we just try to take the solution and put it down the throat of people. Uh, you know, uh, 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 explaining how cool blockchain is and cryptography and these 21 yeah. million why it's important. They don't care because they don't understand that there is a problem. They first need to understand the problem and the
1: solution. And I think for most people, their understanding of what problems, what economic problems are, is massively distorted by the fact that they've been miseducated by inflationary economics. In that, you know, if you ask people what are the economic problems, they'll tell you, yeah, there are a lot of economic problems. They'll tell you this is a problem, A, B, C is a problem. But realistically, when you look and dig in, you realize there are no economic problems except inflation all the other economic problems are inflation why is there an unemployment problem because of inflation why is there a wages problem why do people complain about wanting more wages because of inflation if it wasn't for inflation and in- wages would be uh, always um, would not be a problem because prices would always be going down and so people wouldn't need to be asking for raises all the time uh, and why is there inequality? Well, because some people get to print money for free and other people can't save and the vast majority of people cannot save. We don't have a form of money. If everybody who's poor today, uh, you know, you look at anybody who's poor today, the last four or five generations of their family, all their grandparents and their great grandparents and their great-great-grandparents lived under inflationary currencies and so they all could not save. And if that was different, if all of those people had a form of money that could appreciate every year at 1% or 2% instead of depreciating at 5, 10, 20, 50, or 99%, they'd be in a very, very different place. You know, if your great grandfather just saved a little bit of his pocket change and passed it down to you today, it would be very useful for you today to start your life with. So if you understand inflation, you understand that all of the economic problems that you see around you are caused by inflation. And uh, you can't really get that across to people because most of their economics is based on uh, universities that are funded by inflation. But once you do get it across, I think it makes the explanation of uh, economics and the explanation of uh, Bitcoin a lot easier.
0: Absolutely. But what is the the explanation of all these economists uh, why we need inflation?
1: Um, Well, they need inflation because they get paid from it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if, Absolutely. If, yeah, the if, 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 if there was no, if there was no inflation, all of these economists would be out there, maybe teaching fifth grade math or something like that. Like, I think about what kind of useful skills those people have today. It's really uh, between uh, high school math and uh, middle school math is is uh, the uh, where you would put them. But uh, their explanation uh, that there is an infinite number of uh, bullshit stories that they offer about why we need inflation. The most common one is. if we didn't destroy the value of your money then you would never spend and then the economy would fall apart because nobody is spending money because you know the reason you spend money is because your money is getting destroyed which is ridiculous people spend money because they need to survive we spend money because we need to eat we need shelter, we need clothes when the winter comes I'd like to have a roof over my head before I go to sleep I'd like to eat and not go to sleep hungry so people need to spend because they need to survive people spend because that's just how an economy works Um, but we don't need to have our money get destroyed in order for us to spend, uh, destroying our money just benefits the people who manage to destroy the value of the money and enrich themselves. So I think all of these arguments are completely bogus and, um, all of our world over the last century has been built around these arguments.
0: There was one argument, um, that we can grow faster. As a society, like we can um, put technologies out faster if if we grow the monetary base and it 's and the point in case I think they use is that, for example, the internet was Um, was developed in the 80s after we went off the gold standard. But what they don't say, obviously, is that all these innovations before that were probably even more important than than the internet, at least as important, they came about before we went off the gold standard. right? So this
1: argument... Can yeah, I, and I discussed this in the Bitcoin standard. I think there's pretty compelling evidence that the golden age of innovation for humanity was in the 19th century, not in the 20th and not even in the 21st century. Yes, of course, if you had such amazing innovations in the 19th century, destroying the currency and moving from a good money to uh, crappy money is not going to just completely destroy all technological innovation across humanity. Of course, we make an innovation and then each innovation opens new possibilities for new innovations to come along after it comes along. So we invent the steam engine, that opens the possibility for the uh, internal combustion engine and then that allows us to make a car. And then once we have a car, then that allows us to make an airplane. Then once we have an airplane, we can make rocket ships and so on. So things build on top of each other and they're not all going to stop just when we destroy the currency. But the fallacy here is to assume that we wouldn't have any innovation unless we destroyed the currency. I think the far more accurate conclusion is that we would have a lot more innovation if we had a uh, good currency. So both, if you look at it qualitatively, like you just lay out that I do that in um, the Bitcoin standard, if you look at the in- innovations of the golden era, you know, the late 19th century up until World War One, you see all of the most important things in our world today. You see that in the 20th century, the most important uh, things that happened was the popularization and the mass production of 19th century technologies so the airplane the car when you think of these technologies you think 20th century because that's when they invaded the majority of the world but they were all invented in the 19th century you know the airplane was 1904 that was still on the gold standard but effectively that i count that as 19th century well anyways we're not really uh, concerned about the year 1900 we're concerned about the gold standard and most of these things were invented in the gold standard. Um, what came under the fiat standard is the popularization of those things. And of course, you know, uh, the telephone and um, the telegraph were invented in the 19th century. Computers were invented in the 19th century. In the 20th century, we just improved on these things, and then obviously incredible and amazing things came out in the 20th century. But to attribute these things to the inflation, I think, is completely ridiculous. And the fact that it comes from people whose salaries are paid by inflation tells you everything you need to know.
0: Mm. But it, what's interesting is that this uh, inflation and devaluation of a currency, because it's being produced more and more, uh, is happening all over all over again uh, many many times in history it's like it, it happened in, in in rome you know when they uh, put less gold in in the gold coins it obviously now happens with uh, the u.s um printing eighty percent of all the us dollar in the last three years it, it just happens all over again all over again and so like wh- why is this happening all the time and and what is what is the solution in, in your opinion, will bitcoin be able to
1: solve this finally I think it happens all the time just because it's um, it's very lucrative and it's um you can think about it as like an uh, uh, an exploit in uh, software in that uh, there's just this easy way of attacking anybody's computers where you can take all of their money and this way is inflation so the and and I think the reason it kind of always happens is that there's a cyclical nature to it, wherein um, as a society becomes more advanced, as it becomes more productive, as it becomes more rich, these things usually come with an increase in trust. Uh, Everybody in the society becomes more productive, everybody becomes more trusting of everybody else, and everybody is uh, more cooperative with everybody else. And so if you're born into a society that's uh, allowing you a high level of productivity, yeah, this isn't the luck of a draw. Well, it is a luck of a draw. But I mean, it's not just completely random. Um, there are certain things that come along with it. If you have a society that has high productivity, then people have arrived at a point where they, uh, that they can cooperate with one another. You, you can't have high productivity without the division of labor, and you can't have the division of labor without civilized human beings who are able to deal with each other without their being, a a bond of kinship tying them. So I don't need to be your best friend or your brother or your cousin in order to trade with you in a civilized society. Even if I've never met you before and you've never met me before, we meet in the street, you're know, you selling oranges in the street. I buy the oranges from you. I never see you again. And yet I have very, very, very good uh, reason to suspect that you're not just going to poison me. And that's what the division of labor is. It allows us to effectively trust strangers. And that's what, it, and, and um, you know the reason we trust strangers ultimately is because, um, I mean, it's not entirely blind trust. The fact that you have a restaurant, for instance, or that you have a factory that's making shoes means that you've invested significant amounts of capital in building this. You hired people, you bought the resources, You didn't do all of that in order to go then and poison people and destroy your business's reputation. So the fact that you invest in capital gives me some kind of assurance that you are uh, invested in this thing succeeding and therefore you're not going to poison me. That's why it generally makes sense to eat food from a restaurant you've never been to just because, well, you know, if it's open, if it's functioning, it's been around for a couple of years, then there's a good chance that it's not out there to poison you so this all works across everything but it kind of fails across money for two reasons i think on the one hand it, money has to by its nature centralize in uh, one medium of exchange so everybody wants to use the same thing as money and then because of the fact that um, you know you need it to scale uh, you're going to have some kind of trust in the person who's allowing you to move it around which is the case of central banks with gold And that just creates a very, very high uh, value to defecting from being an honest member of society. It's just such a big jackpot. And so any person who's uh, slightly um, morally compromised is going to find this uh, to be a very extremely lucrative avenue to uh, exploit. And so that's why you see it across societies, across civilizations, across time, you see the same thing repeat, which is Uh, You get to this point where the society is is functional, you know, the the restaurants work, the factories work, everybody's productive. But then the devious people in society get into the central bank and they start making more money. And you see it happening all across. I mean, you mentioned the Roman Empire, you look at the Chinese Empire. All throughout history, the same thing happens. It's kind of, it's almost uh, heartwarming to see how universal the experience is. We are one human race united by being robbed by our central banking overlords across all cultures and civilizations. Um, So this is, I think, why. And the reason it always keeps repeating is that ultimately, uh, because money is a network technology, everybody is stuck into it. So the majority of people don't care and don't have the ability to verify. But if you want to verify, You know, what can you do? What can you do if you don't believe in, uh, if you don't want to be part of inflation? How can you opt out? Well, you can opt out by uh, opting out of the division of labor, opting out of civilization, but that's even more expensive than being a victim of inflation. And so there's no way out. But with Bitcoin, there is. That's why I think it's really the solution to this problem because. Yeah, we're going to continue to see people rip each other off. We're going to continue to see central banks do the things that they want. But at least all of us who are smart enough to understand what's going on can opt out. And I think on a long enough time horizon, we're going to see that it's going to be uh, more and more of these things getting repeated. And um, the result of it is that only people who use Bitcoin are going to be uh, protected from this stuff.
0: hmm yeah, because finally we have a way, as you say, to opt out, and finally we have a, a a form of money that is not centrally controlled and cannot be cannot be printed. It's it's that easy. Right? It's, it cannot be corrupted. It's really that that's the USP of Bitcoin. It's not too it's not too hard to understand. So you are working with um, Naip Bukele in El Salvador what mm-hmm. is uh, what is it exactly that you are doing with him on what kind are you advising him on on a regular basis or what what are the topics there that kind of are interesting to him or that you are helping him with
1: well i mean i'm i should say i'm not working uh, directly with him as much as it is with the bitcoin office which you know he works with but um, i uh, my role is um, Is is advisory in the sense of uh, looking at topics that are of interest to people in El Salvador and to Bitcoin in El Salvador, and just offering my opinion on them um, and on how they could uh, benefit from them. So um, it's you know it's not a very uh, it's not a very specific um, job. I don't have any kind of executive authority. I don't have any kind of strict. remit of uh and scope of work um uh, i discuss ideas that i find relevant anything that i hear is happening in el salvador that i think i could have an opinion on i uh, discuss with them and i try and offer my opinion on it and um, i hope to be able to provide them with some value do you think that there are other um, countries that will be
0: following the suit of uh, el salvador especially in South America and maybe in other countries and other continents as well.
1: I have no insight on these things. Like I have no idea. Uh, um, perhaps I, I hope so, but uh, it's. Uh, it, 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 uh, I, I have no any 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 kind of uh, personal insight on any of these questions. If there's any other country out there planning to do something like this, they have not told me. <laughs> <laughs> All right so is there another
0: book coming up that you are uh, what is it that you're working on that will
1: come uh, will be published next so my last book was principles of economics i just published it a few months ago and it's a textbook in economics It's the book that i would have wanted to have at university it's my third book so i did the bitcoin standard then i did the fiat standard which is applying the um, same method that i used to explaining bitcoin uh, to explaining fiat and how, Bitcoin, how fiat emerged and what it does and what the implications of fiat are. And then uh, I wrote Principles of Economics, which is what I would have wanted to have at university to teach economics from the Austrian perspective. Now that these three are done, I've, uh, now I've uh, just started my own publishing house, where i'm going to start publishing books you know my books as well as other people's books and um, the first book that i'm publishing with this publishing house is called fiat food and uh, this is uh, the work of an uh, investigative journalist matthew lizjack who read the fiat standard and his mind was completely blown by that story uh, in, par- in particular chapter nine which is on fiat food, he read that chapter and his mind was um, blown. He didn't believe it. He's an investigative journalist. He's written books about crime before he's investigated crimes. And uh, he thought, this is crazy. This can't be true. This guy has to be making all this stuff up because if it's true, it's the crime of the century. So he started digging into it and he found that pretty much everything is true. Uh, But I didn't get into it in a lot of detail because... My book is not an investigative uh, journalist's book. It's not a crime uh, uh, investigation. It's an economics book. So I just kind of explained the broad outlines of the players and the incentives that were involved. And he wanted to dig into it deeper. And so he uh, emailed me and said, "Uh, this is fascinating. I'm researching it. I want to write another book about it. Uh, Would you be interested in publishing it? And uh, he he just wanted me to publish it because he thought... The natural audience for this would be uh, the, my audience who read the Fiat Standard. And so I went along, and, and I was uh, independently considering um, making my own publishing house, so this came at the perfect time. Mm-hmm. So um, I, read his, I read the book, uh, we, I helped him with the editing, and then um, I decided that I would add a couple of chapters to it, um, which are the things that I thought... Um, what I would like to communicate on this topic of fiat food. So I'm kind of a co-author on it as well, as well as the publisher. Um, So yeah, so now it's out. You can uh, get it from uh, my uh, website, thesafehouse.com or from safeatdean.com, which is my personal website or the new publishing house website, thesafehouse.com as well as Amazon. And it's uh, it's a really, really good uh, read and really good engaging book.
0: I I bet that there's interesting kind of facts and stories about how food developed, that people wouldn't know. Is there any particular uh, example that you find interesting to share?
1: Well, I think um, one of the things that I found the most fascinating is the um, uh, process by which the political class in the 1960s and 70s embraced inflationist ideas, accepted the idea that they were going to move off the gold standard and um, started to lie about food you can see how this emerged and how there was an incentive to get into it and you can see where the political uh, motives were to go ahead and do this and i think that is a very fascinating part of the story that's well worth looking into
0: right i will i will definitely do All right. Thank you so much, Saifedin. This was really a great conversation, very inspiring, as I have expected. Thank you so much for sharing your time, and I wish you all the best with uh, your new book. I will definitely uh, look into it, and all the best with your work, also with El Salvador and all the other stuff you're doing. Keep on, and thanks for your work in the industry.
1: Thanks a lot, Julian. Have a good day. Cheers,
0: you too. Bye.
1: Bye Bye-bye.